Amen. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. Well, we're in a series called Timeless Testaments. We're going through the Old Testament uh, and looking at these, uh, these stories that are, are timeless, these uh, stories that we learned mostly in Sunday school or as a child, and really digging into them, uh, into them as adults and seeing how we can see Jesus Christ in each one of them. And so we're going to talk about Elijah and the prophets of Baal today. And I'm going to title this message, uh, Hopping between the altar. You know, uh, when I was little in the church I grew up in, in southeast Arkansas, uh, we had these wooden altars uh, across the front, one on this side, one on that side. And one of the things that we'd like to do when I was little is because they were so wood and we polished them down pretty good, is to run and slide all the way down and hop off of this one and then run and slide. Anybody know what did this before as a child in, in a small church? Uh, now, our parents didn't like that so much because we kept hopping between the altars. Uh, that is not what I'm talking about today, but just so you have an idea, uh, we're really going to talk about who is in control of your life. Who is in control of your life? Who gives you peace? Who provides for your means? Uh, and like most Americans, that answer uh, for most will be me. I am in control of my life. I provide for my means. I am working on getting more peace in my life, like that vacation helped me be more peaceful. Uh, for some people, it's going to be my spouse is really that person in my life that I lean on, or my family is that person I really hold on to. My family is my rock. My family keeps me going. My family helps me in the toughest times. And none of those things in themselves are bad, but what we look in Scripture is that sometimes we can have the illusion that we're really trusting in God, but we're actually trusting in many other things, including ourselves, our family, our career, our friends, and God can be nowhere in the picture, and our hearts can be far from Him. And the truth is, we so often hop between trusting God and trusting ourselves. We hop from the altar of prayer with God, and we get right back onto the road, and we're trusting in ourselves again. We just hop between the altar of God and trusting in ourselves. And uh, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, over, over the last you know, 11 years of being in full-time ministry, I've had the opportunity to help people uh, in a lot of ways. God has given me that opportunity. And even this week, uh, we were, as a staff, we're trying to help a young uh, man and uh, homeless and getting off of drugs and out of jail and trying to get to a place in their life. And I think God was just kind of giving me an illustration of what we all do as people is that by the time we had counseled with him and trying to get him to that place to decide, do you really want this for your life, that he seemed desperate and he needed lodging and, he, and all this, but at the same time there's this pull between trusting in myself and letting go and surrendering completely. And at the end of the week, I'm sad to say this young man just wasn't desperate enough to go all in and turn his life over to Jesus and go into our Teen Challenge program. Uh, but they would choose homelessness over giving up control. And I looked at that, and I was thinking about this week. I was like, God, how often do I do the same thing? I love to be in control of my life. I think I can have solutions. I work hard, and if I work hard, then this is going to work out. And if I don't, I've got my family to lean on, and my wife's going to care for me, and my family's there to provide for me. And I have this reliance on all these things. But where is my reliance on God? And uh, look with me in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18. As we look here, I want us to think about, are we looking for help on God's terms or our terms? God requires our whole heart. And what are we going to do when heaven doesn't answer us 
and all this life has left you with is scars. Because there is only one way to find lasting prosperity and lasting peace, and that's by fully resting on the blood of Jesus that gives you access into the presence of the living God. There is only one way to hold on to the altar of Jesus Christ that gives you that blood sacrifice that says, yes, now you can enjoy the peace and the prosperity that's found in the Holy Spirit. So give me the back, let me give you the background. That you and I today have two choices, just like in this day, Israel had two choices. Uh, First Kings chapter 18, we find that Israel has fallen prey to their fallen kings. Ahab is one of the most wicked kings ever uh, up in this time. And Ahab has followed uh, his own carnal desires and building up the economy of his own kingdom and building up the military of his own kingdom and the power and the glory. And by doing so, he's compromised his faith. He has uh, given over an alliance to the Phoenicians. Uh, and one of those ways you would do that is marry one of their daughters. And he married a girl named Jezebel. And Jezebel was a wicked woman. Uh, and she uh, established the worship of Baal. And Baal was a Canaanite uh, array of gods, not just one god, but a bunch of gods, okay? This whole pagan deity. And the worship of this was so immoral and so vulgar and so sexual and so idolatrous that, it, that the Bible just condemns it all the way from getting to end. It is such an evil way they would worship, and they would involve prostitution and sacrifices, and, and they would go into all sorts of immorality. And she began to push out the prophets of God. In fact, she began to kill the prophets of God and establish these temples and these worships and these poles, uh, Asherah poles, another Canaanite goddess. And she'd be established these uh, idols all across the land. And Ahab would go with it because it would build up his prosperity. It would build up his wealth. And sometimes the same way we compromise to get the things that we think we are in control of. And so that's what happens. And so God sends Elijah to proclaim a drought. They were trusting in Baal. And Baal is the storm God. Baal is the God that would provide your rain. Baal is the God that would provide your crops. Baal is the God that would provide the prosperity and the abundance in your family and uh, provide you more children and fertility and all that. And so Israel had been to compromising. They had compromised their worship of God for the sake of control and gaining things their own way and power and prosperity. And they thought peace would come if they turned to follow Baal. So Elijah comes, he says, well, you think Baal can provide you rain? Here's what's going to happen. God's going to put a drought for three years. There's going to be no rain. God's going to show you who's the God of the rain. And so he comes and he says that, and God puts him into hiding. And finally, it's three and a half years later, Elijah shows up at Ahab's door. And he finds him, uh, and he begins to say, "Now, now is the time for a line in the sand moment. He says, I want you... And the 400 prophets of Baal and the 400, uh, sorry, 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of this Canaanite goddess Asherah meet me at Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is on a dividing line. It would divide the country from Phoenicia, Jezebel's home, in, in the north and Israel in the south. And on this mountain, a huge mountain range, um, range, Elijah would say, let's meet there because it's a big place. It's a tall place. And under uh, below the mountain, the valley below, it was called the Valley of Jezreel. And it was what we know today is the Valley of Armageddon. So here is this end times, line in the sand, battle about to happen between good and evil. Is God your choice or is he not? First Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah came near all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Turn to your neighbor and say, You've got two options. 
You've got two options. He says, either the Lord is God, so follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. This reminds me of what Joshua says to the Israel in the same way. He says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. If it's God, then go all in with him, right? And so uh, I think that's the kind of the, the, the atmosphere that this is kind of based in this morning. We're going to call it out like it is. You're either going to follow God or you're not. There is no in-between. There is a line in the sand. And Elijah calls him out. He says, hey, I'm done with this wishy-washy nation. You're either going to go all in with God or you're following something else. But you need to make up your mind whom you're going to serve. And if we could be that bold as individuals and say, hey, I know you've been playing around with this God thing, but you need to make up your, your mind. You're going to make a decision. This is all in or it's nothing. These people had no allegiance to God. They had uncommitted hearts. They thought I could serve Baal on one day of the week and I can serve God on the other. And when I need something from God, I'll go to him. But otherwise, I'm going to trust in myself. I like the economy of this, this Ahab guy. I like the military power of this Ahab guy. You know, Jezebel's not all that bad. I know she's got her hang-ups. And yes, it's not like it used to be in this country. And we don't do everything like the old ways. But those ways are so outdated. And, you know, you didn't have to be married. You had to be married back then, but you don't have to be married today, guys. You know, you, you, yeah, you had to go to church that many times a week back then, but you don't really have to serve God and go to church every day of the week. Really, by, by really, I mean, come on, you can be a Christian and not go to church. Whew, aren't we talking something here? I mean, you can, you can cuss a little bit and still be holy because after all, it's, it's Jesus that makes you holy, not you yourself. You know, you see where I'm going here. We can serve one way of living throughout the week, and then we can serve God when we need him. And so this is where they found themselves. There's no commitment. There's no allegiance. And Elijah looks and he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? The Hebrew word there is the word for Passover, which we get the word for Passover. Uh, And literally in this verse, it means this. How long will you hop between two opinions? And if you go into the depth of that word, it means like a little bird hopping on a tree limb. If you've ever seen a bird... I think we've all seen a bird, and you've seen a tree. Well, then you understand what I'm talking about. That bird, it kind of hops from branches to branches, and a lot of times that bird doesn't stay still. And he's saying, you guys are just like that little bird. You have been hopping from Baal to God, to this, to that. And, and you're in with God, and then you're out with God. And then you're in with this, and this thing happens in your life, and then you go back to God. And then when that stops working out and you lose the emotions and the feel-good, then you go back over here to this thing, and then that thing looks shiny, and you go to that. And all of this while, he's saying, today is a defining moment in your life. You've been halting and hopping around. You've been passing over God to all these other things, but you've got no faithfulness. I think about Christianity today in America how many so many believers are passing from branch to branch? We never settle to go all in with Jesus. And the Bible says in Revelations, if you are like lukewarm water, you're not either hot nor cold. God's going to spit us out of his mouth. It is an all in for everything that Jesus is my everything. Uh, there's an old verse, a song that says, he is my everything, he is my all. He is my everything, both great and small, right? How many people know that? Yeah. Amen. So he says, you're either going to follow Baal 
in order to please Jezebel. You're going to either follow this thing to please your family, to please your friends. Sometimes we follow things to please that girlfriend. We follow things to please that boyfriend. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of uh, people in our recovery, you know, well, my family did drugs, so that's how I fell into it. Or my boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll see people that will come into God to get on fire for God. Then a, a relationship will enter into their life, and the next thing you know, boom, they're out the door because they've given up that compromise to follow the things of pleasure and things of this world. But Jesus says, you know what? You must hate your father, hate your mother, even your children, your brothers, your sisters, if you want to be his disciple. Yeah. And, the, you know, and I think in our life we can look and we say, man, God, but I still want that power. I still want that control. I'm, I'm a control freak. I'm, I was the OCD, uh, you know, anal retentive personality disorder. You know, I, I, I like control, things being in my control. Uh, and, he's, and sometimes our heart, we say, God, I need that control. And then on the other side, sometimes we say, God, I need that comfort. I don't like being uncomfortable, God. I, I like my routine. I like my, my pampered life in America. I don't, I don't want to sell everything and give to the poor. I don't want to move to Africa. I don't want to do those things that maybe your spirit might one day tell me to do. And, or I don't want to give up that toy or that thing. I like having my Sundays off. I like having my weekends. I like not uh, being, taking risks all the time. And so, God, I want my control. God, I want my comfort. But then something happens. It's like, Lord, there's something happens in our lives. We say, well, yeah, God, I still want your presence. God, I want that power. God, I, I want that pleasure, but I still want your presence. And Jesus says, guys, we've got to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Uh, Spurgeon once said to his churches, there was a church that was kind of in that wishy-washy moment with God, and here's what he said. He says, how many more sermons do you want to hear? How many more Sundays must roll away wasted. How many warnings, how many sicknesses, how many tollings of the bells must warn you that you will one day die? How many graves must be dug in your family before you'll be impressed? How long will you halt between two opinions? I think about all the sermons I've heard in my life, especially as a young person. Uh, man, it's like, God, what it will it take for the church in America to go all in with Jesus Christ? And so we find Elijah making that moment with them. When is it going to be enough to go all in? So he comes to a decision. He says, here's your two choices. Number one, you can return to your own way. So Elijah sets the terms. These prophets of Baal, he says, okay, you guys got it. You choose the ox. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You choose the ox. You prepare it. You light the wood. But you, but, uh, you, you get everything ready. But don't light a fire just yet. And the God who answers by fire, he will be God. He said, okay, we'll take you on that offer. We believe in our God. And so... The God who answers by fire, he's going to be God. So they choose their ox, they sacrifice it, they begin to call in the name of Baal. They call from morning till noon. They're leaping around and they're saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But the Bible says there was no answer. So what does Elijah come over and do? I love this. is one of my favorite parts of the whole story. Elijah comes over to there. He says, hey, you've been calling from 9 a.m. and it's noon. Why don't you call a little louder? I don't think he can hear you. So maybe perhaps he's occupied. And you know, the one of the, uh, the Hebrew uh, some translations say, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe you need to call a little louder. Maybe he's a little occupied. Maybe he's relieving himself. I mean, come on. This is funny now. He's like making fun of him. He's like, maybe your God's on the toilet. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. So what happens at 12 o'clock? They begin to uh, scream a little louder. Oh, Baal, please answer us. They begin to leap and dance and, and rave. They begin to shout. And the Bible even says they begin to cut themselves with swords and lances, bleeding out, trying to appease their God into the afternoon until 3 o'clock. 
But the Bible repeatedly says three times, he says, there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. It was a deafening silence. And I love this part right here because he's basically what Elijah is saying. He says, all your leaping, uh, it's just lame. He says, you, got, you think you got the right dance, but just like you're hopping between two opinions, that hopping, you're just really hobbling along. You know, sometimes in our life as Americans, it's the same way. We think if we just get the right routine, if we just get the right actions in place, if I can just do the right things, this is going to bring some positive result in my heart, in my mind, in my peace. I, I, if I just do the right things, I'm going to find true love. If I just do the right things, I'm going to find peace. I'm going to find that rest I've really been longing for. If we could just get that right job, honey, if you could just get that job, if you could just start making that much, if you could just get that, then maybe our marriage will work out a little bit better. If we could just move to the right school system and, and be around the right people, then maybe our kids will act better. If we could just you know, get do this little scheme and this, this little thing, we'll get out of debt and, and then, then we'll be happy. If we could just take this vacation, then maybe our whole life will feel better. And we can do all these schemes, but all of your leaping is lame without Jesus Christ. And he says, there's all this shouting you're going on. He says, but all this shouting, it just results in utter silence. You can shout all the right words, but the Bible says in Psalm 66, God does not listen to our cries if iniquity is in our hearts. You can pray all the prayers you want to pray, but if you can't pray the Lord's prayer that says, Lord, forgive them like you're going to forgive me. If we can't forgive that other person, you can pray all the prayers you want to pray, but God's not hearing you. If you want to, you say, God, bless me in this and bless me in that. But if your heart is not right with Jesus Christ, God says he's not hearing you. He can't answer a selfish prayer. He doesn't answer prayers that are not according to his will. So he says, in all of your shouting, there's just silence. And he says, then the next thing is all of your schemes. They begin to cut themselves. Maybe it was to wash away their own sins. Maybe it was to try to gain their God's favor. I think for a God that didn't do that for us. They wanted heavenly peace and power to come down, but ultimately all they were left with was pain. You know, there's only one true way to find peace and prosperity and true power and belonging. See, every day men try to gain peace and power apart from God. We can try wild parties, we can try drugs, we can try alcohol, sex, money, we can try material possessions, we can even try cutting ourselves. Uh, and let, let you know, as a person who works with your teenagers, that is a very popular thing in the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and I want you to know where the source of that comes from. It's right here in Scripture. The Bible says that they would be uh, getting so ecstatic into this way, trying to appease this, this would be a demonic thing that they would begin to uh, try to feign, find peace alone by this cutting. You know, students will report to us today that they will feel so much emotional uh, and even sometimes uh, uh, mental pain, emotional pain, that they felt like, uh, and I've talked to several students, not even here, years ago, they would just be saying, Pastor uh, there's just so much pain in my life, so much things going on. I feel like I have to have a physical release of that pain and that cutting of myself. I feel that physical release happen, and that release of that blood feels like that emotional release. Uh, you know, the devil is out to get our children. Uh, and, and there is only one way in this world to find that peace and that release that we need from heaven alone. And it's not going to be through cutting, it's not going to be through pills, it's not going to be through relationships, because in all of our schemes of this life and trying to reach heaven, you'll only be left with scars. 
You're only going to be left with scars. Look at these guys. They're trying to receive, get rain for their community. They're trying to reach heaven and hear a voice. They're trying to find peace on earth. And yet all of their dancing, their leaping was lame. All of their shouting, it was only silence. And all of their schemes, it was only scars. Is that not man on this world today? We try to build everything up to try to be better, try to reach God, try to have the best marriage, try to have the best life, try to find the best family. We've got to put the perfect Facebook photo up there and let everybody think we're okay. But on the inside, we're just scarred up. He said, you have two choices. You can keep choosing it your way and doing things your way and all your schemes are just going to end up in scars or you can rebuild the altar. So look there again in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. It wasn't enough, but we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It was six hours of scheming, and now they sat in silence covered with scars. From 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Now it's 3 p.m. Elijah has waited six hours watching the enemy rave that their way works. How many people know that the, the world's way does not work? You've tried it. You know I've watched it happen. You can see it in your family. You can see it in your own life. And Elijah has been watching it for six hours. It didn't work. didn't happen. The world's way doesn't work. Other religions' way doesn't work. Drugs don't work. Sex doesn't work. All these things don't work. And so in 1 Kings chapter 30, or chapter 18, verse 30, it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near. So the people came near, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Church, we've got to rebend be rebuilding the altars of God in our families. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Maybe in your family, things have been torn down. Maybe God has been far from your family. Maybe in your growing up years, your mom or dad took you to church, but now it's your turn. You've got to be rebuilding the altar of the Lord. And says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, whom the world of the Lord had come. Verse 33. Then he arranged the wood, cut the ox in pieces, and laid it on the wood. Israel wanted rain without fire. Think about this just for a second. They wanted rain. It's three years in a drought. They wanted rain. But Elijah is saying what you need is fire to fall on the altar. What you really need is fire to fall on the altar. Why? Because without this, before God could send any rain... Fire was needed to consume Israel's sin offering. Are you with me? Israel had sinned. That was the result of no rain. And Israel said, God, we need rain. But God was saying through Elijah, no, no, no. What you need is to rebuild the altar and make a sin offering. What you need is to repent because there is no refreshing without repentance. There is no Holy Spirit peace without the altar being built up and a sacrifice laid on it and a fire to consume it and make atonement for your life. There is going to be no Holy Spirit power, no Holy Spirit peace, no prosperity according to the Word of God unless there's repentance. And so Elijah is saying what you need today is not rain. What you need is the fire of the Holy Spirit to come down upon the altar once again and consume the sin in your life. There's no refreshing without repentance. He said there's only one God that can pardon sin. It's not the God of Baal. It's not the God of this world. It's God, not the God of, of, of the, the Democrats. It's not the God of the Republicans. It's not the God of this country or that country or this place or that place. It's the God who is answering in heaven, whose name is Yahweh, whose son is Jesus. And it's the God who can make your life right. 
He's the only God that brings true peace, true power, true prosperity. So the true test that day was not the God that could answer and make rain. It really wasn't even the God that could answer by fire. It was the God who can forgive sin. This whole world is looking for a way to cover up our sin, cover up my scars. Who's going to help me that this doesn't hurt anymore? Who's going to help me that I feel like I need to feel again? Who's going to help me that I, I, I have a place to belong? Who's going to help me that I feel like I have a purpose in life? Who's going to help me that my life seems refreshing again, that joy is new every morning? And Elijah says, there's only one God that can wash away all the consequences of your sin and make atonement for you. And Elijah begins to speak the truth of God boldly. He rebuilds the altar. He prepares the sacrifice. And he stands now between God and man. And Elijah begins to make intercession for them. Who does that sound like? I think about in every biblical story, you should be able to see the person of Jesus Christ. And here in this moment, I see a glorious picture of who Jesus is. Here we are standing there with scars, having cut ourselves and our schemes, and all we are left with is pain in this life. And here is a man who is sent by God to make intercession for us. And this man is Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He begins to rebuild an altar that we allowed to fall down, the place where we had once met God in that Garden of Eden. He begins to now make an altar. And he builds it up. And the Bible says Elijah took 12 stones and made into wood. One, Jesus would bring all men. The Bible says he would be lifted up and draw all men to himself. And so we were all scattered, divided on our own, by our own names. Jesus brings those 12 stones. Elijah brings those 12 stones, makes one altar out of it. The Bible says that Jesus would be our peace. He would break down that dividing wall that would separate Jew and Gentile, man and woman, slave and free. We'd all find one altar on the cross of Jesus Christ to come to. And Jesus not only made intercession as a high priest, he not only rebuilt that altar on the cross, but he himself laid his own life upon it. He was the ox that was laid down. And the Bible says that he was cut into pieces. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed uh, for our infirmity. And so he lays his life down on that altar and makes intercession. He becomes the sacrifice that we need. And here's the best part. On one side, here we are with all of our scars laid bare, all of our blood oozing out of us, and all of our schemes result in silence from heaven. And here he is, taking our scars upon himself. In each hand, in each side, in each foot, he bears our scars so that we can be healed. The cross becomes for us today a dividing line in the sand that says you cannot pass Further than this moment, if you want peace with God. It is a mountaintop experience that you and I have to come to the cross and say, God, my ways don't work anymore. My peace, my marriage doesn't work without the cross. My life is a wreck without the cross, and I can't achieve these things on my own. And so I have to come to a God-man who brings us together, who makes intercession, who lays his life down. And he takes my scars, and by his scars, I'm healed. You got two choices. You can continue your own way, or you can come to the altar. And then how do you know that this is going to work? Say, Pastor Heath, you know, these are all great words. I've been to a lot of revivals. I've seen a lot of pastors. I've come down to the altar. I've raised my hands. I've done all these things. How do you know it works? What's the evidence of it? I'm glad you asked. So look in the next part. 
How do you know God received the sacrifice? Elijah sacrificed by faith. He, and faith in the word of God, Elijah simply obeyed. He had some faith. He obeyed. He made the sacrifice. The blood was shed that moment. Then God had to do something. The Bible says that in that moment, immediately fire like lightning descended from heaven, consumed the offering, because Elijah says, God, I just want you to hear me. God, I just want you to show these people that you're God. He prays a simple, short, one of the shortest prayers in scriptures. Nothing this big old thing like the, uh, the prophets of Baal did. But here he is, and praying that there'd be evidence of God. And he says this, let me back up. First Kings chapter 18, verse 34, look what he does. He fills four pitchers of water, and he puts it on the burnt offering. And three times, he lays down four pitchers of water, okay? And he says a second time and a third time. And now there's been 12 pitchers, three times of four. Three times 12 is, three times four is 12, if I'm about to go to school again, right? He lays down the water. He can't, and, and this is the moment. He prays this simple prayer. God, if it be possible, Lord, I'm just praying that they would know you, that they, you would turn their hearts back to you. I think about Jesus who said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And so he puts these 12 pitchers on there, covered in water. Now it's an impossible situation. There's no way fire is going to light this wood. There is no possible way. There's a trench dug all the way around it. The trench is filled with water. The, the altar is filled with water. The wood is wet. The offering is wet. There's no way nothing of man can light this. They didn't have gasoline back then, right? Uh, uh, they didn't have that kerosene lighter fluid that we used the other night at our men's camp out. All right, and they, 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 it's not going to work. So there'd be no little hint. Elijah hadn't, didn't have a match in his coat and just top it over there. And, and it, boof, look there, God answers by fire. No, no, no. There had to be supernatural, definite proof that God saved them from their sins. So he prays the prayer automatically. Chapter 18, verse 36. The time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, he prays this prayer. Lord, make it so that you've turned their hearts back again. Fire of the Lord comes, consumes a burnt offering. The wood, even the stones, even the dust, and even licks up the water in the trench. The people see it and they fall on their face and say, yes, God he, the Lord, He is God. And I think about that sign again. I go back to Jesus. There was a moment. Now follow me. There was a moment. And this defining moment. How do I know if God's going to forgive my sins? How do I know, Pastor Heath, if this is going to provide peace with God? And for six hours, Elijah had watched the enemy raving as like if they were going to win. It seemed impossible. There was a moment on the cross. Jesus Christ is up there, hung out to dry. And for six hours... He was on that cross watching the enemy rave. Just like Elijah had been watching them from 9 in the morning to 3 at night, Jesus was on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 in the afternoon. And all hope seemed lost. How is this God-man going to save us? It's impossible. The water is wet. The wood's wet. There's no way he's going to be able to come out of this one. And, and everybody begins to flee and everybody falls away. Hope is done. Hope is lost. But aren't you so glad that after three days, the biggest sign of God's glory, the biggest sign that God would approve of that sin offering, that something supernatural, undefinable, unreplicable, it was not something conceived out of man's ingenuity or his schemes, but God answered on that third day. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ got up. And Acts chapter 2, verse 24 says that God raised him up again, put to end the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 
Jesus Christ in His resurrection is the biggest demonstration of God's glory that this world has ever seen. You don't need fire from heaven anymore that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the biggest supernatural evidence that God received the sacrifice for sin. And it didn't end there. Jesus Christ would breathe that same Holy Spirit that raised Him from the dead. That great fire from heaven would fall down again in a day called Pentecost when there was 120 people in an upper room. That fire would come on them and clothes of tongues of fire would rest upon them and the world would see there was again, there is a supernatural evidence. There is a witness from heaven. The Bible says that those tongues were an evidence to unbelievers that God had done something in their midst. And what the Bible says for you and I today that you and I are today the greatest evidence if you are a Holy Spirit-filled believer that what the world does not need today, they do not need a fire to fall from heaven because it's already fell, it's living inside of you, and you are the testimony that God rose from the grave. God received the sin offering of Jesus Christ, and He has made more evidence of that event than Elijah calling down fire from heaven. That's true. You're a witness. That Holy Spirit fire that raised Jesus from the dead, that Holy Spirit fire that baptized the 120 in the upper room, that Holy Spirit fire is available today because it's living inside of you that you and I can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We can be the evidence today testifying God still saves souls. And it didn't end there. That's the good news. So the people see this. They turn to God. They repent. They put out the prophets of Baal. They kill them all. And Elijah goes up to this mountain. He goes further up the mountain, deeper into the place of God. He goes there and he prays. Seven times he prays. Perfect prayer. He prays and he sends a servant to look. He says, look towards the sea. Do you see anything? No. Go back. Seven times he goes back. He says, I see a man's hand, a cloud the size of a man's hand. And it's come. He says, prepare. Rain's coming. Tell him everybody to run. Tell Ahab to go. Rain is coming. And within moments, I believe, that cloud became a massive thunderstorm. And rain filled the land. And the Bible had prophesied that there was a rain coming. And that rain was the last day rain. There was a rain at the end of the season of harvest that would give your, 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 your harvest this final boost before you would take it in, right? The Bible says in Joel that there would be a latter rain much like that. That in the spiritual world, and the Spirit would come. He, Jesus didn't just come and give us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but also that in the end times, that when the harvest needed a final boost before the Lord would gather it together, He would send a final outpouring of His Holy Spirit, a latter rain of His Spirit. And Peter said, so why? Acts 3.19, that you could repent and return, your sins would be washed away, and that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. You see, it rained on that day with Elijah and answered the people's needs. What the people in the world need today is not only to see that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that he filled people way back when, but there are still seasons of refreshing. It's still raining today in Gina, Louisiana. You can still have peace with God. You can still have this refreshing of the Holy Spirit that's available, but it comes when you choose not your way, 
but to rebuild the altar, come back to the cross, receive the sacrifice that's been given for your sin. The biggest sign the world ever needs to see is that Jesus Christ got up from that grave and it's still raining today if you'll repent and receive Christ by faith. You can trade your scars today for the scars of Jesus Christ. You can have the reign of the Holy Spirit return to you. And all you need is like Elijah to have a simple faith. You ain't got to pray this long prayer. You ain't got to jump around and chant all day long. Simple faith in the Word of God. Believe it and obey it. That's all you have to do. Worship team, would you come? We're going to have a time of communion to go back to the altar and rebuild the altar. I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to rebuild the altars in our lives today. Maybe you've got scars. Maybe there's things that are going on in your life. Maybe there's things that you need to give over to God. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. We're just going to respond today and say, Lord, I'm receiving Jesus Christ today in my life. I don't know if you've done it a thousand times. We're just renewing our hearts today and saying, God, I'm not choosing my way. I'm choosing your way. Lord, I need you. But seasons of refreshing, isn't that what we're all after? Can we decide today? Can we stop hopping from between the altar? And remember, the greatest battle between good and evil has been settled on the cross. There's no more sacrifice, no greater sign, but God sending His Son and giving us His Holy Spirit, and it's still raining on those who will repent and receive Christ by simple faith. Today, we can have the reign of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ.